It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. It's an exciting time for all the young men who've been working hard to have a shot in the CFL. When that draft comes, I don't care if it's not done the same way. It's an exciting day for those players. First down. Don, we know that uh, with, with the COVID-19 situation, it's important that both the CFL and the CFLPA are working together. And it appears, uh, based on reports from Third Down Nation, that there has been some issues between uh, the commissioner and the CFLPA president, Solomon Elaminian. Solomon Elaminian put out a letter last week to the membership, basically complaining that despite having called the commissioner, to discuss contingencies, etc., with the uh, CFL that um, no response has been forthcoming from the league office. I don't know what to make of it personally. I can't say that Ambrosi would be ignoring uh, the CFLPA president, so I would think that it could be a tough situation for him. What do you say in this type of situation where... You don't know if you're going to have a season. You want to have a season. What, what do you say back to Elaminian? I mean, there's a chance that you could work out something in the interim. What would that take as a as a methodology? You know, I, I think the concern is is that paragraph 16 in the player contract, right? That's where they seem to have a bit of a differing point of view. And uh, basically at this point, when Elaminian has put out his letter, he's saying that that difference has been enough for the league to suspend the work of the committee and ongoing communications between the CFLPA and and the league, you know, that that to me, they need to be working together to be able to find a solution so we can move forward and hopefully, as we've said before, continue with the league. We've been over that item 16 in the CFL uh, player contract that is out there, and it's the wording that if the operation of the Canadian Football League is suspended, Mm -hmm. what do you interpret as that to mean? And this is where maybe uh, the CFLPA says one thing, the CFL says another, and again, we talked about it, about this whole idea of language and contracts, and sometimes there's ambiguity in situations where you didn't expect a COVID-19 to ever show up. Absolutely, and, and that, that to me is what's crucial. I mean, the, the commissioner has been very careful in his wording to say that the CFL season won't start prior to a given date, rather than that it's suspended or that it's set off. Um, and, and I guess the question would be, you know, American players who are potentially in the United States have options if they're strong enough to go to the NFL, may want to exercise the ability if league is deemed suspended to be able to find other employment, particularly NFL is the one that comes to mind. I mean, right now, XFL is no longer out there, but there may be other options in in terms of even coaching or working with teams in that way to try to make a living based on their skill set and what they know with football. Nothing precludes them, I think, from getting a coaching job or becoming an athletic trainer or working in some other industry that I am aware. So those options are still available, but they are hamstrung by regulations in their own county, state. In the United States that we are here in Canada, that we have to be physically isolated. Mm -hmm. They are under the same restrictions that we are. If they want an opt-out, maybe in my mind, okay, let's do it right now. Opt-out. Get, you know, work out on a deal and opt out right now and say, go to the NFL this year and give it a try. And if you want to throw your lot in and see if the NFL actually runs their season full 
and see if he can get a job there. Then come 2021, you know that you've got that job and the CFL knows where you're at. Or the other thing is you get in with the CFL and say, I don't want to opt out. I want my contract guaranteed for next year. Is that good to go? And if the CFL says, yeah, then there you are. I don't know. It's it's a six of one, half dozen of the other in my mind. I don't want to be in a situation where if I'm a player, I want to opt out because if 50 or 100 of my cohorts do the same thing, where am I on that list of people trying to get a job in the States? Good point. Plus there's guys coming out of university. There's other free agents in the market. You, you're going to dilute it too much. And in my mind, you're just not going to be noticed. Well, and I think they, they do want that continuity. I mean, I, if I'm the league, I'm not letting the players go at this point. I guess if it does come closer, I mean, if you hit towards, you know, August, September, when, when the league potentially is looking at starting or may or may not start, and you have an option to move to the NFL, which very few CFL players do in any given year. But if you truly have an option to to be able to potentially make a roster, at least a practice roster in the NFL, maybe there does need to be an opt-out for players to be able to take that. But again, I think you're right. Very few players, I think, would be able to do that. I mean, your, your premier players in the league are marketable to any team. The majority of players are, are they're, they're strong players, but they're with a team because the team needs their specific skill set. I just don't see players in vast all saying, well, I want to leave my contract. I could see them wanting continuity, not only for this year, but in the event that the league is suspended, does not play this year. Don't they want somewhere to go next year? I think they would. If you're the CFL, you have to have some certainty. So either you negotiate an opt-out and say, okay, this summer, if we're not playing and you want to try out, go. But then you lose your window in February. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're cut and you come back. Yep. You're right. It is a give and take. And, and so if they're going to allow players to do that, I, I agree with you. The take maybe the league gets back is to say, okay, so you didn't play in the, in the 20 season. So maybe that season would be then moving forward to 2021, even if it has a factor of an adjustment of 2 or 3% or whatever it is to adjust for increase of wage. Maybe that's a way of, uh, if you don't make the NFL, if you go down and you're there, you're tied in if you choose to leave. So if the CFL is going to hold tight and say, okay, we're, we're not negotiating right now, but we could negotiate at a later point, then say la vie. There's no rush to judgment today. We're April. They're not talking about playing football till July. And truthfully, given that Montreal, Calgary, Toronto are all shut down to probably the end of August, there ain't going to be any football until September. You don't have to wait till the last possible minute. But let's do something at an appropriate time right now with an absolute unknown of whether there's going to be a season or not. Let's determine if what we're going to do. And then, based on the known, let's then negotiate. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the key is we have to have negotiations. And at this point, they're not working together. So we've got to find common ground to be able to bring both sides back to a table to have some discussions about the what-ifs could occur if the league continues, if it's not going, if players cannot play until mid-September after you know, waiting in Canada. And, and, and I mean, ultimately, the borders may not even open. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how, how do we get all the what-ifs in place when you don't know what's happening or when it may happen. There are so many levels and so many things that the ground continually is shifting, and and I I guess therein lies the case. Does the player um, association want a say? Do they want input? Should they have it? Or is the league more because of COVID? And again, 
an unknown situation that that uh, you know that item 16 wasn't part of previous uh, never in our wildest dreams could we have imagined a pandemic would do this potentially to not only our league but many other leagues and uh, you know it's it, certainly the CFL is not the only league there the NFL is, is one looking at it to hockey we can go through NBA there's all these other leagues that are going to be in very similar situations because some of these players come from uh, outside of the USA as well when you think of basketball they have many international players that may or may not be able to come to the United States or or quite frankly may not want to as players you only have a limited number of years in in any given league and in football particularly it's tough on people so to lose a year without the opportunity to make money somehow for those that would have it uh, I understand where they're coming from it's an issue of management versus the worker and uh you know, there's, there's always two sides on that. And I agree, it needs to be give and take on both sides. Management needs to give, the workers need to give to find a solution that's going to work in an unknown time. I don't know how they fall in in terms of all of this uh, employment uh, stuff that comes out where, you know, the governments are helping you by giving you a check mm-hmm. to keep you going. I don't know where players fall into this. I have no clue. Especially if you're coming from the states to Canada. I was going to say the American players in particular, right? And, and that's a you know majority of the CFL players at this point are there. The Canadian players, it would be interesting to find out and and you know if there's any players that are listening or or any anyone has an idea, would would someone who is in a league, whether it's somewhere you know football, hockey, um, would they qualify? It's a sort of a, a special case. How do you? That's right. Are, are is it? Let's go ahead. I was going to say I have trouble seeing that being an essential service, right, in any way, shape, or form. And, and again, depending on the league and, and where players are paid, um, certainly, you know, I think the majority of people would look poorly on the multimillionaire player that, that's trying to make a claim like that. But at the same point, when you're playing in a, in a league that, the, you know, the highest paid players are not making millions of dollars and, and may only be making less than 100000 that loss of income, should they be qualified for government support again if you're an american player you have to go to your country and look at it if you're a canadian player you have to look at your country and see how you qualify i would think that uh, there has to be some sort of compensation because you are losing your job not through any fault of your own and Mm -hmm. as such you should be entitled to whatever forms of compensation that are available to others. Well, and that brings up, uh, and just thinking aloud here, but that brings up an interesting point. If you have a contract, you should be covered then, right? So would you want to opt out of your contract at that point? Because now your contract is no longer valid. You didn't have employment at this point in time. So should you be compensated then? That would add a risk to the players. Opting out of a contract to me is quitting. (laughs) So it would be read the same way both ways. So do you want to take that risk? Absolutely. It's come together for the betterment of the league. And that's ultimately what it's all about. It's about everybody making it happen so that there will be a 2021 that everyone can enjoy. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Second down. 
The CFL Draft is coming up this week, and on the line with us is Empire Andrew. And, of course, Pat, we are excited to have him back on the show. Welcome, Andrew. Let's talk draft. The Stampeders are going to be picking number one, or are they? <laughs> wow, you're loading it up early, aren't you? Trade discussion starts. Exactly. Well, uh, first, let me say thanks for having me back on, guys. It's a blast to come on and chat some football with you guys. Yeah, I, I don't know if... The, I, I have a feeling they might actually pick, though, this year. I think they might actually take that pick just because with some of the losses that they've had over the last couple of years, and especially when you look at they've been starting guys like Greenwood in a middle linebacker spot, uh, you're going to have to start looking for guys who can either back up those spots or when you look at things like losing Tunde Adelike a couple of years ago, I think it's time that they might just look and say, hey, we got a number one pick. Let's Let's get someone and get some help in here. So do they look, if they keep the pick, do they look at O-line, which Huffnagel's gone with before, or do they maybe step away from that and say, hey, our receiving core has been beaten up, let's grab somebody there for the future, or do they take Jordan Williams, linebacker, you know, where do they go? Like, because I, I, it's a rare thing, but the Stampeders, I think, are in a need situation. Almost, almost. I, I don't know if they're at the point where it's complete need, but it's definitely, even if it's quote unquote need for backup to get to starter. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I would be surprised if they moved away from Jordan Williams just with the the amount of hype that he's getting and the way that you, I mean, it's so weird for me this year because the last three years I've really gone into watching the combine and that's where I kind of learn my names and go, these are the guys that I really want to look at. And with no combine this year, it's so weird to be like, well, I don't know how to dig up film on these guys. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for the odd thing on TSN, I'd have no idea what half these names are. But from what I've seen on uh, Jordan Williams, I'd be shocked if they didn't take him. Even just again, he can back up Greenwood to start and then end up, you know, in a starting role down the line and they're not losing that uh, Canadian position. Yeah, you know, I, I think that they, uh, if, if not a linebacker, I, I mean, I don't know that you take a flyer on offensive lineman right now in, in terms of O'Donnell, I think would be the first choice uh, since he was picked up in, in the NFL. He may fall down a little bit as well. So, I mean, if he were out there, I would think that they would be reticent not to take him. But but now that he's uh, signed, he's definitely going, not going to be playing for part of the year. But uh, in the event that, that he's, you know, they, they're really looking to rebuild the offensive line, he would be a pick that I might say they might take a flyer on. The one thing about O'Donnell is that he's from the area. Mm-hmm. Right. And he did play at the U of A. So he's local. It really, I guess it's kind of a gut feeling. Do you think he's, the Colts are going to keep him or do you think that he's going to be coming available in a year or two and then, then is it worth it to wait that long? For a quality offensive lineman, I would say yes. I mean, you're, you're certainly going to potentially uh, see development on an offensive lineman if he goes down and he's practice rostered for a year or two uh, you know, and, and comes back. And that's always the key. Will he develop and, and become a starter down there or does he come back? And if he comes back... I think it's a great pick. If he doesn't, we're going to be talking about this down the line saying, what a waste of a pick if they choose him. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, it, that happens all the time with the Canadian draft though, right? You never know. Sometimes you, you got these guys, you know they're going to stick, but sometimes you got to take a flyer and you never know. I mean, the Eskimos last year when they went ahead and picked Matthew Betts and with the, the idea was, well, he's going to go to Bears camp and he's going to light it up. And he did well. He was one of the very last cuts, but 
guess who's now signed here for two years? So you, you just never know when you get into the Canadian draft what you're going to get. Sometimes you're going to get a guy that will you got to wait a couple years on. We had to do that with Tavon Smith. Now he's here playing really well. Sometimes you look at a guy of O'Donnell's stature and the way that he's played and you think, well, are we are we going to get that guy or not? And I think that's going to be where Huffnagel is going to go back and forth a bit. Mm-hmm. So the Argos get the second pick overall, and there is a team that has just absolutely loaded themselves with free agents in the uh, offseason. So do they worry about this draft? Are they looking for backup help on the offensive line? Are they looking for maybe another Canadian running back? I mean, there are not many out there. It's just, what do you want to do if you're the Argos? I think if you're the Argos, you really almost don't have a choice but to go offensive line. Their their offensive line last year was not very good. And uh, so being able to have, even if it is as a depth guy, I think you they are in a position where they need to go offensive line. I would be surprised if they didn't. Especially given that they have two picks. Uh, you know, I would think that they could start with an offensive line. And then if they're looking for a Canadian receiver or something, maybe in the later round, they could pick it up. That's very true. I guess Dylan Giffen would be an interesting pick coming out of Western. I mean, there's a guy that knows how to play on championship teams, and you've got to think that you want that winning attitude. Yeah, that's very true. I know in some of the mock drafts that I've seen, there's a guy that has played in Buffalo. Um, Last name is Jack Jack Kerdyla, I think is how you say it. Again, no combine, so no idea how to pronounce half these names. I'm just taking a shot. But uh, I know that I've seen that name come up quite a bit as going towards Toronto. Yeah, he's he's a high, uh, you know, in the CFL uh, scouting bureau, they've got him ranked number four. So definitely a worthwhile pick to take high. Hasn't signed with the NFL. So I, I would see that being a great pickup for Toronto in the number two pick. And Marshall Ferguson also thought very highly of him and really felt that he would be an impact player right away. Yeah, well, and that's something that Toronto is really looking for. They, they've they really increased their Canadian depth uh, this year. So they're not in a position where they have to be racing out to get Canadian receivers, right? So they, I think this is the time where they try and get that impact guy that can get in on the offensive line and, and give some protection in there because they're going to need that. The Lions pick third, and we know that from his tenure in Edmonton that Ed Hervey was not averse to picking a player that was signed in the NFL and waiting for him to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we, we have, we've seen the fruits of that, those picks a few times. At the time, we're like, what? Why would you do that? And then, oh, well, okay, you can shut me up um, because, you know, now we've got Tavon Smith uh, here. We had Arjun Colhoun here for a bit. You know, I, I think we're starting to see some of those guys that are now kind of trailing back that uh, even Stefan Charles was back last year. So there's lots that you, you, if you have that right feeling and you know they might come back, they might take that flyer. And Hervey's been really good at it. He's picked those guys and you have to wait a couple of years, but when they come back, they can make an impact. You wonder if they're thinking offensive line, but they did grab Riker Matthews. So maybe that's not a need. Do they go with maybe the best athlete available and pick up a defensive back, a receiver? Uh, I know that a lot of teams will always say, well, we went for the best guy that was available. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I know that's what, you know, Brock says that every year. Well, this is this was he was the highest on our list, and that's so that so we went with it. Um, the teams that aren't in great need of a specific spot for a Canadian or a specific backup spot, I can totally see where they might say, okay, yeah, we'll just 
pick the best guy available and see what happens. Right. Uh, I think there are some teams, though, when you look at, yes, you've got Riker Matthews, um, you've got Suk Chung, that's a Canadian on that offensive line, who didn't really perform the way that they had hoped he would perform last year. Um, I, I personally think Chung is a good offensive lineman, but I think he's better uh, as a run blocker than he is as a pass blocker. And we all know that Mike Riley likes to stand back and throw the ball. So I think that that definitely affect it he's not don't get me wrong he's a good offensive lineman but I think he has a harder time with the pass and I think that's where his his I guess weaknesses kind of showed up last year I I think they may still go for an offensive lineman just to try to build up some I mean Riker Matthews is great he's an amazing player very helpful as a tackle but they're gonna need somebody to be able to be able to be in that backup role or, or somebody they can build into a role to play on the offensive line. And that was a lot of what Ed Hervey did when he was here. When you got, you look at guys where he traded for Matt O'Donnell, when he signed David Beard, he's bringing in guys that took a couple of years, but now they're pretty much dominant in their position that they're in. So I, I could totally see them going that way as well. And I think, oh, go ahead, Pat. I was going to say, I think anytime you can pick up a Canadian offensive lineman, even if you are deep, we know that they that you know they they move around fairly often as well. So they're a, they're a given commodity. People want them. So if you've got a, a strong offensive lineman and, and he's coming in even as your backup, your your sixth man on the line, that that's a great spot to be able to to put someone. Agreed for sure. Many will argue that the Canadian game is offensive line and back because if you're not keeping your quarterback healthy. You can't win in this league. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Ask Mike Riley about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And the other thing, too, about the Lions, some argue that it was just the coaching that didn't suit that offensive line. And when they changed coaches, their sack total actually dropped. So, you know, there's more to it than maybe just a talent pool situation. And may sort of gets me to thinking that maybe they'll they'll go outside of that and pick a receiver or a, a DB or something. I, I can see that logic for sure. Where um, I, I mean, they still have Lamar Durant, so they're, they do have that Canadian receiver. Um, and I think Shaq Johnson is also Canadian, is yes, he, he is. not? So, so they could definitely be looking in, uh, in the receiver slot for, again, that kind of backup role. T- kind of tough to say, but I just think... Because because the, uh, you're right, the O-line did get better near the end of the year, but I just think because so many times you want to try and get to three to four Canadians on the offensive line, I, I think that's why they get so valuable in this draft. Okay, let's move to the Eskimos. You're... Yes, how exciting. I I, uh, I, I don't know. I, it's interesting from some of the stuff that I read. It, if there is a, a, a decent, like for some, if for some reason Calgary passes and and that linebacker drops down, they may go that way. But I, I I think that the Eskimos might be looking at getting another D lineman, another rush end, because right now they have the possibility of having Kwaku on one end and Betts on the other. And if you're going to try and set up something like that, you're going to need to have some other Canadians that can then step in if one of them gets hurt or uh, uh, having a rotation of some kind. So I have a feeling they they may even be looking at defensive linemen, but I, I have a feeling it'll be defensive linemen or or possibly a linebacker spot. So you're thinking either either Hector or moving to the linebacker with uh, Jordan Williams? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even uh, although on the on the defensive line, out North Dakota, there's a lot of chat about the Mason Mason Bennett, right? And um, 
totally they're saying pro ready right so that might be one like i said they might be looking at okay well is this a guy that now we can kind of build in up behind Quaku and and see what happens because i as i i I love Quaku botang but i don't know if he's here forever (laughs) i think that he's got uh he's gonna start getting some looks as his bets so maybe if they're looking to kind of go that way maybe they get another guy in there well the one thing that I always think of is that if you're going to have a Canadian at a specialty position like rush end or something like that, that you always have to have the backup because if that person goes down and the backup is an American, then you've got to take somebody from somewhere else to compensate. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Brock has surprised us before and just said, hey, you know, we did in all of our testing, this was the guy. I, I've learned now to not question it and just say, okay, yep, you know what? I, I believe that you know what you're talking about because there's been enough times that he's made a pick and I've been like, what? Like in the, I think it was in the second round last year when he picked Kyle Saxlid, offensive lineman that was playing Arena League. And I'm like, who is this? Like, I have no, what is this dude? Holy cow. He came up as a rookie and was playing. Now he's got to work a little bit on playing a tackle position, but as a guard, he was amazing. And so I, I've just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just shut up now and just say, yes, sir. That's a great pick. Tiger cats and Johnny Manziel still making his waves in the CFL years later. But uh, part of that Alouette trade... Uh, The the trade that never ends. ...is still coming to fruition. And the Uh, Ticats, of course, they were hit a little bit on the offensive line. Maybe they look at it. Oh, I'd have to think so. Yeah. I I don't disagree with two picks again. I I think one of them for sure is going offensive line. Um, The other one could potentially be defensive line as well. Um, You know, I I think there's definitely quality in, in both lines still at that point. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that they might actually be one of those teams because they have the two picks. They might pick a kicker in the first round because they are shy a kicker right now. Uh, Haralahu signs, signs down south. There, There's a lot of uh, a buzz flying around. Uh, what's his name? Let me just double check here because I saw his name. Mark, Mark Legio, I think is how you say it, out of Western. But I think there is a possibility that one of those two picks could be a kicker just so that they can solidify that position a bit. It does make you wonder. Uh, you don't have to necessarily trade, although there's another thought too. You, you might trade for a kicker with that one. and True, yeah. See what else you can get with your eighth pick. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There there is some opportunities there just to try and fill some holes, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, but I I agree with you though they may be looking at offensive line especially when you lose a guy like Riker Matthews. You 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 might want to start building some depth again there too. Well, and they've got a Canadian to tackle right now. You need a backup. True. Yep. Absolutely. You could find another big body, someone that can play that tackle position, which is rare for linemen, but if there's someone still out there, that that definitely is a pickup. And then the Red Blacks from the trade with uh, Calgary, they drop all the way to six over the uh, Arbuckle trade. Ottawa needs, you could just go all over the board (laughs) and probably point to them, especially when you win as few games as they did last year. But in truth, were they as bad as that record? And maybe a quarterback change could really change their fortunes. And then really, what do you need to do? Protect him? They have typically gone after uh, Eastern uh, prospects. So if you're looking from 
Eastern schools, you've got uh, a couple of opportunities to grab some good people. If I were them, I'd be taking a look at someone like the defensive back, Marc-Antoine Decoy, is it, from Montreal? All the talk is that he's pro-ready. He's going to be able to make a difference for the team. He can step right in immediately on special teams and uh, potentially be a backup at any one of the defensive positions because he, he seems to have the skill set from what we're hearing. If, if Desjardins picks anything but an offensive lineman, though, do you think, like, every everybody might be like, hey, is he feeling okay? Like, this is weird. <laughs> like, what's... He, he He's definitely pulling at stuff if he's not picking an O-lineman. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know. I'm not convinced that he has to. I guess you got to protect your... Why break with tradition? Well, you got it. Well, he did take Pruneau, though, early. Uh, wasn't that in the second round, or was that in the first? I think it was the first. Was it? Okay. So so I guess it wouldn't be too bad if it was another DB then, because then he, stay, he stays in his wheelhouse, which is O-line or DB. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, if you look at uh, general managers and what they pick, they typically stay to what they know. There's very few times that they go off the board. Yeah, it's, that's very true. Yeah, they, they know what they know well. Right. So that kind of plays out for sure. But I I'd be interesting. Like I said, if if he goes outside of an offensive lineman, I think we're all going to be shocked and amazed and make some funny comments. And then Jeremy O'Day and the Rough Riders pick seventh and uh, needs probably offensive line for that team linebacker if they could get another Canadian linebacker. I, I think either one of those two, and I would start with the offensive line after losing a couple of players uh, heading back down to the east. I think uh, the riders are a little thin. I mean, they brought back a former number one pick in St. John who's struggled in other places in the CFL. So right now he's their uh, potential fifth man in, first man in, pardon me, um, if there's injuries. So I think they do need to pick up an offensive line. That's right. They did lose Darius Bladdock to the Argonauts, I believe. And uh, so, yeah, they're... And Blake. That's right. And so they are down a few bodies. And I think, yeah, offensive line is probably their number one priority. Yeah, you'd have to think... I can see that argument there. Do do you think, though, that they might be looking for somebody who could back up Cameron Judge? Just because he's played so well as a Canadian position, do they find somebody who can play that backup in case something happens? I mean, if Williams is available, I would take him. If Williams is available, I think that that's their best pick at that point. But I don't know that he's available. And I think after that, you're dropping... Judge only signed a one-year deal. So he's he's looking south of the border mm, still. Okay. And, and there is some talk about pulling him to Montreal as well because he's from that area. So there's something to be said for that sort of thinking that uh, if you don't have a Canadian behind judge, then what do you do? Then you, then you have to change your uh, ratio, right? You gotta, where are you going to start that other Canadian? So mm-hmm. that, that could be something just to... I'm just throwing a curveball out there, but it might be something they might look at. But it, but it makes sense because you, you don't only draft for the season that you're in. You're drafting for the next one as well because you're trying to figure out where these guys are going to slot in given that you know you're going to lose somebody and how do you want to prepare for it this way or do you want to go another way and deal with it later absolutely tie cats in number eight and that's their second pick this time their regular pick the losers of the gray cup so yeah <laughs> poor guys yeah <laughs> I swear they in their sleep they must see Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a <laughs> as their only Grey Cup opponent because my goodness those two teams have met a million times in the Grey Cup. <laughs> yeah. They're not a fan of blue and gold, yeah. I don't think so. 
this is where I would be looking at the kicker, honestly. I mean, I think you take a, a different athlete earlier, and, and this is a great point to take the, the is it Legio from Western? I think this would be the, the perfect place to take him. And I think he'd be there. I don't think anyone else above them is actually going to be interested in, in grabbing a kicker. I think they're all pretty set. I agree. And so the Argos come in at number nine, and this is the Zach Caleros trade. Yes. Argos, again, they could go anywhere. They could. I, I think, though, in, in a couple of mock drafts that I've seen, there is a lot of push there to possibly go into the receiver position just because they did have guys like Ajay and Breskison join the team and they're going to want to have those uh, backup for some of those guys um, so that they can keep that position as a Canadian spot. So I, I can see the logic there. I, I still think they go offensive line with their first pick, but I can see them going more towards a receiver in the second one. The other thing I think they have to worry about that one receiver is it Jones that they were trying to get out of the states and the whole classification. Right. Is he uh, on a rookie contract? Is he on a veteran contract? And yes, that's been held up for quite a while. So if they never get him, then they've got to look at somebody to take his spot. Absolutely. Dejon Brissett is a. I mean, he's a Mississauga boy, and he. You know, you're you're getting someone who's a hometown boy to potentially bring some fans in. I think he would be a great pick if he's still on the board at that time. I think they're, and they seem to be picking their Canadian guys kind of that way, right? Who's the guys that can come in and be a, a champion in the community for, hey, th- this is Toronto Argos football. I grew up here. I should, you know, I, now I'm playing. So you play and maybe you'll grow up and play on here, right? I think that's a great move for them. Yep. Bring the young fans in and, and the kids who are growing up watching the Toronto Argonauts returning to the team, I think would be a fantastic thing for that organization. Absolutely. Well, I think, honestly, the Argos made a great decision by getting uh, Michael Clemens back involved as the way he is because if there's anyone that's identified with that team and is so well-loved in that community, it's yeah, him. Yeah, very true. And I think he's well aware of that need for association and wouldn't surprise me if there's a lot of discussion about bringing in a couple of Mississauga kids to, to play. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, One question I wanted to ask you guys, because there's a lot of talk right now about the the Canadian quarterback um, that could possibly get drafted, Nathan Rourke, um, who they were even talking about possibly getting drafted in the States and then wasn't and then did not sign a free agent contract. Do you do you see him getting picked up anywhere? Do you see him going somewhere to get a shot? I don't think you'll see him in the first round, but you may see him in the second round. I think that that's where he'll probably fall to. It's it's really tough because the the need in the in the CFL is typically like I was saying before, O line, and then you work your way back. And a Canadian quarterback, I, I it's a great storyline again. I I just don't know if any GM right now is going to say that's an, an important part of our plan. They may, if they really believe in him, I think it's second round. Yeah. Oh, I, I would say so too. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if there might be a little extra push this year, just on the off chance that we end up playing with all Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, maybe I should, uh, I'm, I'm still being hopeful. There's a few games this season. So, uh, but if we're playing all Canadians, then maybe now's the time to say, Hey, we should have like a Canadian quarterback or something. So who knows? You know what? Rourke has the stats. I mean, he has uh, 7,457 career yards passing, 60 touchdowns. He can run as well. He's, he's a, I, I think he's definitely worth a team taking a look 
at and bringing on the roster. You know, we've talked previously about the ability, like, will a, will a Canadian quarterback at some point count on, as a national? Right. Uh, if he does, that, that adds even something more. Yeah, for sure. And I know, like, I think last year when we saw O'Connor get drafted and then get into a few games near the end of the season with Toronto, I I think we're starting to see a little bit of that turn of, okay, well, maybe there is a spot where we can be having these Canadian quarterbacks. So I I think that's an interesting storyline going into Thursday. Well, and the other thing, too, that we've got to consider is that you can only roster or, or, or dress two quarterbacks. True from now on if you're going to have somebody on the development squad who do you want it to be and how much are you going to want to pay them yeah and if it's a you know a high-priced american college kid that's a pretty big bill to keep him off the roster every week mm-hmm. yeah no kidding no kidding very true very true the one thing i did hear about rourke is that um and i believe uh i think it was Dwayne ford that was saying that he he has the ability where he could line up even as um uh, like a special teamer but he could also line up in like a wildcat formation and basically take on the ball as almost like a halfback running back position while he develops into that quarterback and then he's your quote unquote third quarterback on the roster that could jump in if you had to. So interesting, interesting thought to when you're talking about putting a guy in as a national in a different spot, but he can help out in more than one way. Absolutely. I'm, you just raised my, my thought processes here. If they start throwing a guy in as a wildcat and he is a quarterback, are you kind of circumventing that <laughs> only roster like, almost quarterbacks? Kinda. Is there a rule against it? (laughs) No, I don't. No, there's, there's, there's no, there's no rule that a running back can't take the snap and throw the ball. Like it, there's, there's, so it could be that. Uh, Just, you know, just different thoughts. He's a strong runner, and we've we've seen what happens with a strong runner in Winnipeg with Strevler. I mean, if he's uh, has the ability to do that and contribute on special teams, that that's a, a a strong spot to be able to use someone like Rourke. Yeah, absolutely. So any final thoughts on this year's draft? TSN and RDS are going to show it, which is great. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm with you, Andrew. This is I'm probably going into this one more blind than I ever have because I count so heavily on those combines. And Marshall Ferguson yeah. put out a great video explaining who's available and where he thought they would all go. And I just love the work that he puts into this. Um, it's just so hard though, because you just don't have a feel for these people like you normally would. Oh, I agree. And, uh, yeah, you, you look at guys like Marshall Ferguson, you look at guys like John Hodge, uh, you look at guys like Davis Sanchez and, and Dwayne Ford, uh, who, really follow these guys coming through their careers and they know what they're talking about as far as where they believe that guy kind of ranks. I, I love listening to those, those guys and trying to get a little bit of information, but it's, it's just, we're in an, we're in age right now where if you don't see it yourself, it's kind of hard to be like, Oh, I remember that guy. Like I, I know when the, when the asks uh, drafted um, Jordan Beaulieu, um, I remember watching in the, combine and going wow that guy just plays with a ferocity that I just I love it like he just wants to get in the middle of everything and then we drafted him and I'm like hey I know who that is and that was kind of a neat feeling this year I feel like so your draft it's a who okay I'm gonna look up some video after you tell me who you picked because I have no idea that is if I have to go with that yeah 
you almost wonder if the if the GMs are in the same boat because other than tape that's been shipped to them saying, you know, look at me and look at what I can do, they've had very little access to these guys other than maybe Yeah, could you imagine doing your your supposedly combine uh interview over <laughs> Skype? Like it'd be very interesting to have that dynamic just to have not I mean we're getting all used to it don't get me wrong but it's just it would be interesting to have your whole interview that way and you have to figure that some of the teams reached out that way so it'd be interesting it makes you wonder if some of these guys are going to uh, have a shot that maybe wouldn't have in the past right there's there's always people who go to the combine highly rated and, and they drop because of performance and you know fair or not they may not get the shot that they would otherwise so this might allow some of these players you know if they were to have a bad combine they haven't so they may get a shot with the team and actually surprise a team or two i think that goes the other way too where you have these guys that you're not really sure of and then they come out and blow the doors off of everything at the combine and then they move up right i I think it's going to be a lot harder for those guys this year when you you think back to i believe it was two years ago and johnny augustine came into the combine being kind of mid-ranked and at the end of the combine people were like this guy's gonna go in the first round because he's just like he was blocking and running over everybody and was really show had a great showing and i don't think we're gonna see some of that this year so i think a lot of the uh, quote-unquote known names are likely more to go in this one it's just a matter of where they're gonna land well the other thing that was brought out and I'll, I'll give this to Ferguson I think he was the one who tossed it out is that if you've got an opportunity to be drafted this year get a way to put yourself on tape running the 40 you know doing your leaps doing your presses you know do all that stuff that you can show and say hey I'm even though I can't be at a combine I, I'm in my gym I can do this for you this is what I'm prepared to do yeah sh- show me your measurables yeah right exactly like that's the the only thing that they're not seeing there is the one on one drills. You can't you can't simulate that, right? So, uh, but hey, show me what the measurables are so that we can kind of start from somewhere. Which is the one part of the CFL Combine that I love that the NFL doesn't do, and that is there's no matchups in the NFL. It's all you know, you against the clock or you against the the measuring stick. And in the CFL, no, it's you against the top of the the class, and I love that. And then GMs get to say, I want to see this matchup. Exactly. And then they get to see it. And to me, that is the that is the highlight of watching is the 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 DB receiver one-on-one drills and the O-line D-line one-on-one drills are just unreal. And then I think it was three years ago they started adding in uh, basically a special teams type unit where they would be running and they'd have to basically get to a guy and, and tackle. And man, oh man, those are the those are the highlights of the combine for me. I love watching that stuff. Well, if you want comparables, that's the way to do it. I agree. Right, absolutely, hundred percent agree. Third down gamble. We will not go back to what life will be like before January of this year. Uh, Public health authorities will be easing things very gradually, but we talk about sort of living with the virus for a significant number of months and and until uh, there's enough level of immunity. That first voice you heard was Dr. Theresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, with what I would describe as probably the most chilling notice about the possibility of the CFL season being cancelled given that 
the optimism about having COVID defeated and having large gatherings before January of 2021 doesn't seem very likely. Most likely now that we're looking at uh, 21, 22 year is a possibility for the CFL. Having said that, we, we've also had the news that uh, the CFL has asked the federal government for funds to help them cope with the shutdown. $30 million for a partial season, then maybe a top-up if revenues don't meet expectations. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be looking at possibly $150 million if the entire 2020 season were to be wiped out. And that would be a loan guarantee to keep the league viable into the future. But uh, the, like you said before, they're trying to countenance every possibility so that they're not coming back day after day after day with a new idea. They tried to vet it out as best they could. The Prime Minister actually responded to that request. We are continuing to engage with various sectors, industries and organizations who are facing disruptions. The CFL has approached us about support. We know it's important to them. We know it's important to many Canadians and those discussions are ongoing. That does give a ray of optimism, I think, to the Canadian Football League. I can't imagine how tough this is for Randy Ambrosi and the ownership that is in the CFL, a collective of three community-based teams and six privately owned teams, to have to go to the federal government and say, hey, if we don't get help, we may never be back. I, I think any time you come to that realization, again, when you're looking at contingency planning, you're always looking at a worst-case scenario, and this is indeed the worst-case scenario. We have heard Ambrosi hold out some hope that it can be there, but he's also been forthright in saying that the league will not operate unless there's fans in the stands. Uh, just it's not viable for the CFO. When this news broke, we had already pretty much wrapped up this podcast, so we've had to rejig our third part of our podcast just to address this news that has come out. And I was stunned when I heard it, not because there was a question of whether the league needed the money, just stunned that we are in such a dire circumstance that the league needed to go this route in the first place. Their revenue streams, especially coming from gate receipts, are minimally, I would say, 40% of what they generate as total revenues for a season. So if you take people away from the game, then you are not going to be able to be viable. Absolutely. I heard uh, Jamie Nye on the radio in Regina was talking about uh, the CFL and and why $150 because that does seem like a lot. His take on it was that if you're looking at gate revenues, you have 81 games. He felt he was being conservative, saying that each gate is a million dollars. So that's 81 million right there. On top of that, you take some of the corporate sponsorship that teams have that's not going to be paid in the event that the league does not go. So they're going to lose corporate sponsorship as well as the $50 million deal with uh, TSN. So, I mean, right there, that's easily, I would think, close to $150 million before you're looking even at ancillary income that they may generate through other means. And it's lost. Well, if you want to look at it in just sheer football terms... The $150 million that the CFL is looking from the federal government just to survive is the salary cap of one NFL team. Yep. So you're getting a lot of bang for your buck if you can find a way to keep the CFL alive with a loan. Because this is not a grant. This is not a gift. This is a loan. The CFL does not want this to be on taxpayers' minds that they're going to have to be paying for a league. They are going to pay it back. That's 
the whole value of this experience. Absolutely, and I credit uh, Randy Ambrosi and and the owners as well in recognizing that this is just a, an opportunity to keep the league moving, to keep us afloat, and and the fact that they do want to give back, not just to. Uh, give back the loan, but also to give back to the community who provides the support. Governments right now are putting out a lot of money to help people through. And there's probably some people who are not CFL or sports fans that would have some issue in providing government funds to keep a, a, a league afloat. Having said that, you and I are strong, staunch supporters of the CFL, and we, I think, firmly believe that this is part of the Canadian culture. And uh, in keeping culture alive, I think that is a government's responsibility. Uh, some of the ideas that the CFL is tossing out are include, you know, they include community and public es- education programs across the city, the use of digital channels, stadiums, and broadcasts uh, for advertising and promotion, and tourism initiatives. Like they're trying to be very creative in all of this, and I think that's a really, really responsible approach because the league. It wants to be viable on its own terms, but yes. nobody, but nobody, but nobody could. E- ever envision what COVID-19 was going to do. We've already seen the XFL fail, and Vince McMahon made no bones about it. It was COVID that cost him that league. Do we want to see another league fail? And that's going to come back to us through the federal government. I, I mean, I certainly don't. This isn't every every man league because there's not the the billions of dollars that the NFL generates. For me, that I also find the CFL is a league where we can relate to the players, we can relate to the teams. Um, when you go to a CFL event like the Great Cup, you're going to see former CFL greats that are accessible to the crowds and there is part of the community celebration, if you will. And I think I would differentiate the CFL as part of Canadian culture in terms of potentially needing that bailout. The other thing that uh, this opens the door to is potentially other leagues, Don, coming in, uh, like the NHL. And many people might argue that's also part of the Canadian fabric. But uh, again, you're talking about a league that may have the ability to get through this in a different way than the CFL does. They've already played a lot of games. They've already had a lot of revenue to help them get through this part of the COVID-19. True. Where it may come into play for them is if, Maybe they don't get to start again until January. But the Canadian Football League is just a smaller entity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the margins. It doesn't have the deep pockets. It it just, it it lives not week to week, but it does not have that fluency in revenues that other leagues that have major U.S. television contracts have. It's just not the same economic scale. I agree 100%. They, uh, you know, the, the television contracts are huge for NFL, for the NHL, and, and CFL, we talk $50 million. Well, that really isn't much. It is a third of revenues, though, when you're talking about that in terms of teams overall in the CFL. If you're looking at about $150 million to make through, one-third of it's coming from television revenue. And I don't think other leagues are, you know, at the one-third rate, they're going to be much higher. Think of the $50 million as paying all the salaries of all the players for a season. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much dollar for dollar what it comes out to be. It's really significant. And even Craig Reynolds, the president of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, a couple weeks ago in a Q&A admitted that in 2018, the team made about $17 million in gate revenues. Mm-hmm. Divide it by nine, you know how much that is per game. Jamie Nye is not far off from that number. Well, and, and Saskatchewan always, uh, a few years ago, was sellout all the time too. And that's not the case in every CFL 
organization. So if, if you're looking at a million dollars, I think that is very conservative. And uh, that's the danger in a revenue-driven league. And, and I guess my hope is that the CFL and the federal government are able to work together and find something that gives us hope that in the event that the league will not go, which it's looking more and more like that is the case, that we have an opportunity to see it survive to another year. It's heartbreaking for me because I'm a massive CFL fan. And the idea this summer, this fall, of not having any games and then the league saying, if we don't get any help, there may not be any more, that just is mind-boggling to me, and I just don't want to face that. It is. I mean, we through the years of watching the CFL, we know that there's been franchises that have struggled, and the CFL at times has itself struggled, but it, it has always been able to pull through. And, uh, you know, we're at a point where we do, uh, the CFL, not we, the CFL does have to ask for support to be able to make it through. And one thing I would give credit is the league, Randy Ambrosi and, and the owners, I've obviously done due diligence because, you know, they waited until such time as, as the call was made by health authorities that this is not likely to happen. And, and clearly they have looked at all the scenarios, partial, full, and come up with what they believe is is something that they would require to get through. So I think in that sense, I'm I'm proud of the league for doing that diligence to make sure that they've got every option in place. And uh, unfortunately, we're at the highest contingency factor of no no league being played in the 2020 year. And that's <laughs> that's sad. The last time the CFL was in this much crisis in terms of getting through to the next season was 1996. Mm-hmm. That was that famous uh, snowbound Argonauts Eskimos Grey Cup that had just finished. And the league was so strapped for cash that, according to a story that I read from the Canadian press, that Tim Hortons actually fronted some money. I heard that, yeah. To help them get through that. I never was aware of that. I know they went to the NFL at the time and worked out an agreement to get a loan from the NFL, and they paid that loan off. If the league is knocking, you're not throwing money away. This is... Not only Canadian culture, not only Canadian sports, not only part of our national identity, but it's also something that is viable. And I think you have to have now a show of faith that you believe that you want this entity to continue and that leap will make sure that it will. And again, not asking for a handout, but asking to work in partnership, have a loan that's going to be repayable. In, in cash, but also in, in service. And I think the CFL has provided that service and will continue to do so. So um, I'm hopeful that uh, we can find a path forward that's going to result in the CFL reconvening in 2021 if indeed the season is canceled. Together, the, the CFLPA and the CFL League have to find a way to be able to navigate and take care of their shared collective interests in the league continuing. Well, that's the big thing, too, because if you don't have a league, you don't have a job. So if I'm a player in the league, I want to see this league succeed as much as I can. Whatever I can do to lend my support, whether it's vocal, whether it's supporting a campaign to to convince people, whether it's getting out in the community and saying, okay, if you're doing this for us, we'll do this for you. Mm -hmm. Anything that you can provide as a as a way to show people how appreciative you are of their support and let them know that you're there for them. And it seems to me they've started that process and, and uh, kudos to both the league and, and uh, the, the players as well, because this is not an easy time for them to hear that your livelihood is now 
not likely to happen. Uh, players are going to be in a stressful situation as well. So certainly we hold them in our thoughts. We hold the league in our thoughts. And, and I'm hopeful that we can find a resolution that takes this league forward because you hate to throw out over 100 years of tradition. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching. Mm-hmm.